That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. With stage four cancer, my boobs are trying to kill me. They plan this game, they dream. The Dobby Lord six feet. Let's talk of chemo cocktails that taste like milk. With Pantera, Doctor's Cotton, Life of Sight and Bobby. My nosy boobs get involved in all my body parts. Spine, liver, skull, they snitch just like a knock. As I fight for my life, my boobs try to warn Welcome to My Boobs Are Trying to Kill Me, a podcast brought to you by Stand Up, Speak Up founder Carla Stevens-Tolstoy, who shares with us the journey of her life with stage four cancer and the amazing individuals that inspire her along the way. Today, Carla sits down with Sandra Dowick, a parenting solutions practitioner specializing in behavioral development and yoga therapy. Sandra shares with us how she was able to overcome a difficult childhood and how raising her sons with several health issues became a calling to help others. Despite the odds, Sandra believes she is not a victim, but a warrior. How Sandra and I met is that, as my listeners know from my first episode, is that I'm battling stage four breast cancer, which has metastasized throughout my spine into my bones. And I was having trouble with mobility, but I was also having a lot of trouble with anger and depression and just not really being very good at mindfulness. And so I got connected with Sandra through my nursing company, actually Nurse Next Door. And right then I knew that I had a really, a real angel here on my hands and who has had such an amazing life journey. And When she told me her story, I was really blown away because I just thought, wow, I'm just battling a physical ailment. And I think battling a mental ailment is a hundred times harder. And so it inspired me to think, wow, if she can push through all this and come out the other side ahead, then so can I because I have way more support than she ever had. And I think I talk about this a lot um, in my old podcast, is the concept of love privilege, which I believe that we have gender privilege, we have white privilege. There's so many, but definitely. Ageism, I guess. Wealth privilege. Wealth, yes. And a lot of people talk about those all the time, but nobody talks about love privilege. Mm. And I believe that if, as a child, you are loved unconditionally, Mm -hmm. and you are shown how to love others, your chance at leading a happy, joyful life is probably a thousand times easier. Mm -hmm. And what struck me about Sandra is she is someone that gives so much love and has embraced love, but she didn't have any love basically, as a child. So she had to learn how to do all those things on her own, which I think is pretty miraculous. So I really want Sandra to tell her story, even starting off with what your childhood was like. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a small town just outside of London, Ontario, and I lived with my brother, my father, and uh, my mother. My mother, she was born with some sort of mental disability herself, so from what I was told, she was born with the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck, which caused her to lose oxygen to her brain. So my mother's mental capability is pretty low. She functions at a uh, pretty low level, so growing up, I never really had the mother bond that I witnessed with a lot of my peers. Um, Did she have any bond with her own mother? I think she did. I don't know to what extent. I never saw it. I was really young when her mother passed away, so I'm not very knowledgeable when it comes to that. She had a difficult life, I'm sure, having these mental and physical, if you will, conditions. She did come from a very loving family. Her brothers and sisters are all very loving and caring towards her. And I um, actually found out when I was 16 that my mother was date raped. And she became pregnant at the age of 17. 
she was put into a special home for women, girls, I should say, teenagers that for teenage pregnancies. And my mom's background is Jewish, so very strict, and abortion was not even an option. So, and was that which baby was that that she so had? So that was my eldest sister that I only found out about her when I was 16 years old. Oh, she didn't raise her. No, she okay, did not. Okay, so she went into the home and had to give her up. She I mean, had to give her up immediately. Horribly traumatic. Yes, Can I'm you sure imagine? it was. No, not at all. So she was 17. She gave up this baby, um, and she's, uh, I'm now close to her. But yeah, I couldn't even imagine giving up this baby. And again, keep in mind, though, is that Did my she go to a good home? Is, she did. Okay. And it's interesting because when I found out um, about my sister and I heard about her upbringing, as much as I'm sure it was really difficult for her to know that she was um, adopted, um, put up for adoption, she was very fortunate to go to a really good family who I actually felt jealous about of course. when I heard of course. her story because she had this amazing mom who she was really close to. And don't get me wrong, it's not that I didn't have an amazing mother. I did. It's just she didn't have the capability to raise me like the average mother, mm-hmm. if you will. Well, she had right? dis- disabilities. She had the disabilities. A huge disadvantage to be it is. A, and a good mom. Right. Yeah. And I mean, she tried in her own little way. She tried to compensate for my father a lot by simply buying me treats, right? Was her way of showing love towards me and doing things for me. But very mechanical. So my dad, so my dad, he was raised in a small town at the time, which is Innisfil, so just outside of Barrie, Ontario. And he had nine other siblings. So he actually had, I believe, 11, I want to say, siblings before two had passed away at a very young age. So he came from a home, a father himself, that was very strict, a lot of abuse. There was a lot of discipline and so he didn't have a very good childhood himself from my understanding and I've never really gotten to complete detail because to be honest I never really became close to my grandparents I heard a lot of horror stories I think you live with that sort of fear of not really wanting to ask a lot of questions Mm -hmm. but you know when I did see my grandparents it was fine and everything was kosher if you will but my father from my understanding and I don't I don't know the whole story as to what happened but I know that he developed I guess at a young age what was known as OCD so everything had to be perfect from my understanding there was a lot of rage so my father was put into a home a mental institution and what I know is that my mother was put into something similar so you have two parents that are dealing with mental health mental health issues very different mental health issues very different I wonder what drew them together Together, they met on a bus you know, from my from what I've heard from my mother's sister is that they did meet on a bus on their way back to their facility. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And were either of them educated? No. So no education. No education really. at all. And what would you say their intellectual uh, capabilities my were dad's for intellectual street conversations? Okay. Was higher. Yes. Um, You could have a pretty good conversation with my father. My mother, not at all. Could not have any political conversation with her. I could never approach her when it came to schoolwork. She had no knowledge whatsoever. As a matter of fact, I would have to read things to her, have to spell things for her. I mean, that's hard. Like, I just took for granted that if my parents couldn't help me with my schoolwork, I had tutors or I had someone to help me or, yeah. you know, did you go to no. to teachers for help? You were just embarrassed. No, you were just, just like, embarrassed. I'm just gonna... The teachers started to catch on. I think it was grade one. And my dad never dealt with any of his issues growing up and the OCD that he had. And unfortunately, it became quite severe. Especially, I would presume, after he had kids because... You can't control kids. No, and I don't think he liked kids very much. Yeah, because well, um, you can't control they're them, They're dirty. Right? Yeah, they're, they're dirty, messy. they're messy, they're loud. They're... And for somebody who is so OCD, to have children in your home would be very difficult Everything was covered in plastic. The couches were covered in plastic. You couldn't sit on the furniture. You couldn't touch the walls. You couldn't use the sink even after the bathroom to wash your hands because there'd be watermarks in the sink. How did you live like that? It, that's all I knew. 
So you just it was okay, so difficult, but I'll tell you, I did think it was normal, but my dad had this routine where he would wake up every Sunday morning and as family, you would have to clean the house. And I'm not just talking clean the house. I'm talking clean the house. Like scrub it clean. Scrub it clean. And like I would be in charge of cleaning the toilet. And I remember he would say, no, 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 that's not the way you do it. And he'd bring in a toothbrush and I'd have to get the toothbrush under the rim. And, you know, to vacuum the carpet, you couldn't just use a normal vacuum cleaner where you'd push it you'd actually have to use the hose of the vacuum cleaner so you're on the ground getting every single piece of the carpet and who rebelled out of the kids i did so you were the one that would say i don't don't want to do housework on a sunday i rebelled but it wasn't pretty if you did so what would happen? You, you would get whipped with the belt, and what he would do is he would count, and it would be to the age. So however old you were is how many hits you would get with the belt, and you knew you were going to get hit with the belt because he would make this cracking noise like with this belt, so that's how he would sort of warm up with it, and then he would whack you with the belt. What across your 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 bum and your 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 backside as well. It hurt. <laughs> it yeah. really hurt, and that's a pain that you will never forget. And I remember that if it was going to happen to myself or my brother, I would try to put on as many underwears as I could. If I heard the belt going, I would just try as hard as I could to get underwear on or more on so that it wouldn't hurt as much. But you know, did and, and then he would feel. Like, did you ever? Oh yeah, there would be bruises and scars and lions. And I remember going to school and having a really difficult time sitting in my chair at school. And I remember the teacher's name, Miss Mrs. Wolanski, at the time, is where she would catch on. She was starting to catch on. She was like seeing that I was really fidgety and I was constantly biting my nails because I guess I was so nervous. And she would always ask me, "Are you okay?" Are you okay? Like, what's going on? And nothing really done about it back then, right? But what I've, what I've heard from, you know, a lot of kids that I've talked to over the years, and adults, mm-hmm. they're angry that no adult stepped in. Yeah, absolutely. And Very that angry. nobody stood up for them. Yep. But it's hard to stand up for someone, for another person's child, because yep. it's not seen as appropriate or you could be wrong or that's just better to look the other direction you know and we're going to get to that part later because we're going to talk a little bit about how how you do stand up and role in my life now and why i'm so involved with children yes because that's important to you but yep despite his mental health setbacks sandra's father managed a sandwich shop her uncle also worked at the shop and so moved in to their family home This is when Sandra's uncle began to sexually abuse her. She shares with us now how these events shaped her childhood. Please be advised, Sandra's account contains graphic descriptions. So, yeah, so next to my dad having his issues and uh, being uh, abusive, both, I guess you would say, mentally, emotionally, and physically, mm-hmm. towards myself, my brother. My brother, you know, still in denial a little bit about it. My mother as well. My uncle, he came and he lived with us. And he actually worked for my dad at the substore. And I was in grade, I was in kindergarten, I think it was SK, or even grade one, fairly young anyway. And is when it all began, and uh, that's when the uh, sexual abuse began. And that was uh, my uncle that started. And I remember one day, he and my mom wasn't home, so my mom would leave the house quite frequently during the day, and she would go for walks. So she would always take day tours. She obviously didn't drive, and uh, she'd be gone for a couple hours. And typically that's when she went to go buy me the candy. (laughs) And I remember him starting in the dining room, and he would lie me on the ground, and... um, that's when he would uh, pull down my pants and he would start masturbating and to the point uh, where he finished on me and uh, I remember him telling me that he was urinating at the end but I always remembered it being warm and then I remember him cleaning it up with paper towel at the end and then I did get a little bit more where he was trying to get a little bit closer and closer and closer to my vagina being very young, it was hard to obviously put it all the way, inserting yeah. it in. Do you remember it getting a lot and a lot closer? And it would happen quite frequently. So when my mom would go out, he would do it there um, inside of our dining room. And then we had a neighbor, and his name was Jeff, and uh, he would feed his fish. When he was gone, I guess he went away for work a lot, and he would take me over there. <laughs> 
and he would do it there to me as well. And you know, it was really hard, but it's interesting because as a little girl, you don't know what's happening and you can't even really wrap your head around it. What you do know though, is that you're being shown love. Yes. I was getting so much attention from him that it actually felt good. Yes. Right? Because, because you thought that was how someone shows love. Because yes. probably afterwards, he was very sweet. Very sweet. And very sweet. And I remember him telling me that um, if I told anybody, that I would be the one that got into trouble. Which is something yes. that a lot of children are told. Yeah. And you believe it. Because the last thing you want is to get in trouble from an authority figure of some description, whether it be a teacher or a parent or a guardian of some sort or, you know, even the police. Like, you, you don't turn to that because you really and, believe. And, and, and be for honest, me, trouble. Oh, my gosh. Me getting yeah. in trouble, that involves a belt. Well, and also, <sighs> you know, the system wasn't properly set up no. to even know how to deal with a situation like yours. Yeah. So they remove you from your home. They put you in probably not a great foster home right and then you become a runaway yes and it just continues on so Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of options for kids which is even sadder no there isn't a lot of options and it was really difficult so things continued the way that it was you know inside my home with my dad being the way that he was um he was definitely very abusive towards my mother he would hit her a lot and, and what would uh, she, where she would, would scream where and she would, she would cry. Go? She really couldn't go anywhere. I remember she he would drop her off. We lived in a forest behind her home. And I remember he would drop her off in the middle of the forest and make her find her way out. And I remember crying one night. And I did eventually, we did eventually have another uncle move into our house. And he was completely opposite from my other uncle. Never once laid his hand on me. He was this us, though, unfortunately, for a very short period of time. Do you think he knew what was happening in the house? I don't know. Oh, no, yes, he did definitely know that the abuse was there with my with my mother. They all witnessed it. Yes. Um, with us. They all witnessed that. Nobody knew about the sexual abuse with my uncle. That was hidden between my uncle and I. However, I remember one day I was lying on the couch with my other uncle. And because this happened quite frequently with my other uncle is that I actually did start touching his penis. And I remember him taking my hand and saying, what are you doing? No. And nothing was said out of it. It was left. And maybe he just thought I was curious. I mean, he people weren't educated back then to know, right? And he might not want to have dealt with it. No, and I don't blame him because with that family, I probably wouldn't have either at that time. So he did actually talk to me about it. And it's interesting because I was, it's after it stopped, a few years after we had moved how, to Toronto. I was 16. I remember it clearly because yes. I actually had a boyfriend. And, you know, it's interesting because I know if I were to contact this boyfriend, which I never did, and I know that he would, you know, say 100% that this happened. And uh, we were in the car, and him and I were driving my uncle to the bus station. And he brought it up, and he said... Did Sandra ever tell you what I did? And he said, no. He said, well, I just want Sandra to know that I'm sorry and that I want her to know that the only reason why I did it was because it happened to me. And it was sort of explained a little bit more to my boyfriend at the time that he did sexually abuse me. But we didn't really talk about it after. That was just it. It was sort of left because I I think it was hard because I hadn't really talked about it. I didn't really deal with any of this. And um, I had a lot of anger issues even at that time towards my boyfriend at the time. Like I felt like I always needed him to be around. I was jealous over the smallest little things. Even at the young age of 16, I would scream at him all the time. Were you angry? Did you want your boyfriend to stop the car? pull yes. the uncle out and just beat the living shit out of him? I, I, nothing was going through my head at that time. Well, you're probably in a state of shock. I was. By saying it happened to him. Justifying me. He's trying to justify himself, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. bad shit happens to a lot of people. Yeah. And it doesn't excuse the fact. No. That, you have you know, to deal with it. Yeah. That, so, that, yes. that you in turn do bad shit to other people. I mean, it's maybe it makes you have a better understanding of the situation, but and maybe a little bit more empathy towards mm-hmm. it. But if he knew what he was doing that was wrong, mm-hmm. he could have gone to get, to get help. Totally. 
He didn't but have that's to a choice. Keep, keep abusing. That's it's a, a choice. choice. That's a hundred percent, hands down, a choice. Because the cycle needs to stop somewhere. Cycle needs to stop. Yes. And that's something that I think that I find amazing and so inspiring about you is mm-hmm. it stopped. It did. It stopped with you. Yes. And not only has it stopped with you, yeah. you continue to advocate for others totally. to make sure it stops even before it happens mm-hmm. um, or before it gets out of control yeah. with families. Yeah. So I don't consider myself a victim. What do you call yourself? A warrior. A warrior. I'm a warrior. I'm not a victim. A victim is somebody that can't move on. I mean, based on on your stories Mm -hmm. and what you've been through, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing that you're sitting here now Mm -hmm. and you're in a happy, loving relationship. Yeah, and and it wasn't always like that. And it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that. And I was not an easy person to be around by no means. So as I said, I actually, I did rebel. I left home. I left home at the age of um, 16 years old, 17 years old, and um, had to try to make a living. And uh, I had to make it on my own. So I um, actually moved in with a roommate at the time. How old were you now? Got some jobs, 17 years old. Reconnected with another uncle of mine and uh, lived with him for a short period of time. And then that's when I actually met my ex-husband. I was 19 years old, actually. It was uh, my first time actually going to a bar. It's called the 55 Special. It was in Barrie, and uh, he was a doorman. And he ID'd me. And uh, he uh, he ended up asking me for my number that night. And uh, I was attracted to him. And uh, we ended up connecting. He, he uh, We ended up moving in together shortly after that, only to find out after uh, we had moved in together that he was 10 years older than me. Okay. Yeah, so I did not know that. <laughs> like 10 um, years mean ten good, years. good news or 10 years Well, I mean, it was news. a shock, right? Because yes. here I am, 19 years old, and he's I mean, telling me that he's old, that he's 30. I think he had already turned so old. 30. I'm like, you're 30? <laughs> I'm 19. Yes, okay. But it's interesting because I, as and he he actually wrote me a letter uh, because he said that he was trying to figure out how he could tell me my his age anyway he did but I was okay with it yeah I was okay I mean we had already fallen for each other and it's interesting because I think maybe I did more so because he had the maturity mm-hmm. because he was self sufficient to some degree yes. he had the smarts and. Maybe I was falling in love with him for different reasons yes. than the average 19-year-old would. Well, you're not the average 19-year-old, No, right? I'm not. So maybe I'm falling in love, and as quirky as this may sound, as a father figure. Yes, of course. So, you know, we were together. We're living in London. He's, uh, you know, we're running these businesses, and um, he's always been an entrepreneur, and, like, you know, everything was fine. I didn't really show my true colors. I didn't really talk about my past as much as I probably should have, but I hid a lot of it. And um, at 21 years old, I had my first baby. So along... um, She didn't go to college. So I ended up going back, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I did. So I did. I was finishing my schooling at the time after I left home. But after I had Nathan is when I did go back. And during my years of uh, 19, actually, and living in Barrie, when I had met my ex-husband, I was actually going to Georgian College. And I was doing my ECE at the time. Yeah, so I was actually working at the um, Barrie Advanced newspaper during the day. Yeah, and in distribution and then in advertising. And then I was going to Georgian doing my ECE. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So, so I got into uh, Georgian, uh, a Georgian college based on yeah. maturity, yeah. being okay. an adult. Um, so yeah. So motherhood. <laughs> Here comes motherhood at 21 years old, yeah. and I'm still the child myself. Haven't dealt with any of my past at all, and I get pregnant, and I think I'm going to have this baby, and everything's going to be wonderful. And finally, somebody who's going to love me unconditionally. Yes. And that's the first thing that sort of goes through your head. This is your baby. Yes, of course. This baby can't leave you. It's yours. It's with you 24-7. Yeah. It's going to love you un- unconditionally. And uh, <laughs> But wow, was that ever a shocker. 21, so he's born colicky, and he's so hard 
to deal with and postpartum depression kicks in for me and all my true colors start coming out so I'm now a very angry mother I'm just like what happened I don't want this baby um, this is too much to handle taking it out completely on my ex-husband at the time angry and throwing things and hitting and everything that I was brought up with is coming out yeah. in me Yeah, and it's so hard to deal with and it's no excuse at the time that I look at it now is you don't know any better. Um, postpartum depression wasn't really no, well known no. back then. I mean, we're... No, 21 years ago it wasn't. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, like it was just no. seen as, like, get your shit under control yeah. and just love I re- motherhood. I remember I got out of control one day and he took me to a doctor and he said, I'm scared she's going to take her life. I'm scared she's going to take her life and I don't know what she's going to do mm-hmm. to even the baby. And I, you know, never hurt Nathan, but I was always wanting to hurt myself. And uh, they wanted to take me away. And he wanted to put me into a special home for me to get help. And I refused. And I said that I wanted to try to figure this out all by mm-hmm. myself. But still, it was still really difficult and to the point where he would never be around. And our relationship was pretty much going sour even at that time. Then I got pregnant again. I got pregnant <laughs> with my second child. Nathan's, uh, so yeah, Nathan's 18 months old. Joshua is uh, diagnosed with GERD to the point where it's really severe. Um, he's completely malnutrition. He can't keep any food down. Formula, I tried nursing him and everything. Um, so eventually we, uh, we ended up relocating to Toronto based on my ex-husband's company. He actually went into business with his brother. So we re- relocated in Toronto, which was a really good thing because we were able to be seen by SickKids Hospital. Mm. London's knowledgeable, granted, but SickKids Hospital was where we, we really yes. needed to be. So Joshua, so he um, he's seen by a doctor, and they do all these tests to find out that it's pretty bad. It's affecting his lungs. He had esophagitis, which the stage after that is esophageal cancer. So he has nothing left to his lungs. And uh, so we know that we have to do surgery. So you, at the age of three and a half, almost four, he has what's called a pontoplication and a plasty done. So basically, they are redoing his whole stomach Mm -hmm. so that contents cannot come up because everything was constantly coming up and going into his lungs, which is really dangerous because he was constantly getting aspiration pneumonia. And that's so hard to look at your child and see that. You're listening to Carla Stevens-Tolstoy interviewing Parenting Solutions practitioner Sandra Dowick. With two children under two years old, both with severe lingering health issues, Sandra faces her toughest struggle yet caring for her children and tackling her past in order to survive. So you're dealing with something pretty traumatic traumatic on on one side and then you've got your other son. Yeah, so then I have my other son who, as I said, was very colicky. Something just didn't seem right to me. He was very high strung. He had a lot of tempers and of course I think, well, maybe it's inherited, right? So we end up, uh, it's interesting because we end up going away to this cottage in Marisabla Beach. And I remember with my ex-sister-in-law at the time. And she turns to me and she says that her friend, I guess, who has some, is some sort of psychologist or whatever, says, does Sandra know that her son has autism? And she said that to me. And of course, I have absolutely no idea what autism even mm-hmm. is. So in school, I uh, end up bringing this up to his teacher who has brought up to me on different occasions that Nathan is here physically but he's not here mentally his his mind is wandering his learning he, disabilities yeah they don't know you know what's going yes. on I've been to doctor and they're like you so, know so he'll grow out of it he'll grow out of it just a quick interjection I'm Zach Tolstoy one of the founders of Stand Up Speak Up our podcast is just one part of the Stand Up Speak Up brand we are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products. We have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors, and we offer a series of interactive workshops. Throughout the different iterations of Stand Up Speak Up, our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes organizations and groups that we're passionate about and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship 
over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. So you're at a stage where you had a pretty shitty childhood. Yes. And there's even a million more stories from your childhood. There we're, is. We're just, yes. we're just taking a it's few of them to give them, a yeah. glimpse. Yeah. And then you think, okay, I'm going to get married, and it's going to be a, a picket fence. <laughs> yes. And I'm going to be the perfect mom. We're going to have this perfect family. Yes. You give birth to this baby that yeah. has autism, which they can't show love very easily. No. So you're hoping that this is going to be the most cuddlest loving and it's so opposite and it's going to give you <laughs> and it has to love you unconditionally and it doesn't and he doesn't want to be touched. and so yes. there's something different so you're thinking maybe it's me maybe it's genetic okay yeah. we have a second child yeah now the second child has like physical physical issues. issues and and then you realize that your first child has issues that maybe that are beyond your control because yes. you must have had some insecurities about why is my child oh, you have no idea. not giving me as much cuddles oh. and kissing. Oh, yeah. I've right? always thought it was me because mm -hmm. um, he would. It's interesting because they do take to one person and he would let my ex-husband touch him and he wouldn't let me touch him. That would be like just It was the hardest thing. And then when I did touch him, he would rub it off on the carpet. And he would rub it so much that he would make himself bleed from carpet burn. And he would start screaming, XOXO hot, XOXO hot, XOXO, repeatedly. This is after it became verbal because he wasn't and, always and you're extremely you're like, verbal. I can't do anything right. I just think, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. I like, was at that point where I'm like, oh, Lord. Right? Like, like why, why I, ha I was definitely me? in this mentality of why? Why did this happen yeah. to me? And I was depressed. As much as my ex-husband was supportive, he worked a lot. And whether he admits it or not, and he knows it, he drank an awful lot. And he was always out almost every single night after work or doing whatever and then when he did get home he was in a grumpy mood and then he would be fine after he had a drink after he had his first drink he probably you preferred know? him so, when he was drinking totally right because he was and nicer I, and sweeter I and joke about it to this day you know i'll be like are you grumpy you know um have you had your drink yet? So, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not. I don't know. Like I'll joke and say whether he was an alcoholic. I don't know. So you feel awfully alone. I do. At this point, I feel alone. And you know what? When I look at it, I mean, him. Why would you want to be around somebody like that? Right? Like, yeah, why do you I want? Mean, you know, like I can see it. I can see that. Yeah. But I can also say that because that's what you sign up for. You did sign up for it. Yeah. You did. I mean, and at it, any point you could have left. And it's his genetics yep. too, with the child. It and, is. It and, is. Uh, and it's a hard. It's a lot to take in. And I used to joke, and I remember the neighbors joking a lot with him as well. Back when we were in London, because I did a lot with the boys, and I was. You know, we would say I was the maid, I was the plumber, I was the electrician, I was the grass cutter, I was the everything. I was everything. I ran that house, and I remember I was in the backyard, and I was picking up. The, we had dogs, the dog poo, and uh, he said, and our neighbors, his name is Jonathan, John at the time, great guy, and he's like, can I make a suggestion? He said, I want you to pick up that dog poo, put it in a bag, and put it under your husband's pillow. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of laughed it off, right? So, yeah, because I was doing everything. everything. I was and, his and, mom and as well. I picked up after him so all the time. Alone. So alone. Like, I did like, everything and, for him, and you know? full of probably... A lot of negative self-talk. Very much. Like, a lot of self-talk. I deserve all this. Or I don't yeah. even deserve to live in this house. I no. Deserve and the problem was when it got really bad for me was after Jacob was born. 
my last. Yeah, because let's go back. So you decided to have a third. Was that <laughs> so like... not even my last, my last with him, I should say, because yes. I have four. Yes. Yes. But the third, did that, was that a shock? Was that a surprise? Or so he did... was a surprise. Yes. Okay. He was a surprise, and actually he wasn't wanted. So He okay. wasn't wanted at all by my ex-husband. He actually asked me to have an abortion, and he knows it. He actually asked me to, but I didn't. And I remember we were not getting along, and, you know, things were not good between us. And I remember it was Halloween night, and that's the night that he told his mother, and I could hear his mother on his phone saying, why? Why? But we went through with the pregnancy. Because everybody's probably thinking, are you fucking insane, Sandra? Are you having another baby? You've got so much shit on your plate. And you're like, nope. Yeah. So we, and you know what? It's interesting because we weren't intimate very, like, ever. And the one time that we are, I'm pregnant. So that was tough. That was really tough. And uh, the pregnancy wasn't a good one because I actually got sick. So I ended up with placenta privia. So we were moving from our old house into our new house. And I went to pick up a box, and I was 32 weeks pregnant, and I hemorrhaged. I hemorrhaged and went to the hospital and wasn't detected on any other ultrasound before, but to found out that I had a low-lying placenta. So my placenta was underneath the baby, which is very dangerous. Okay. So back in the day, that's why a lot of people died of childbirth. Okay. Because they delivered the placenta first, and you can't really do that. So a lot had, of people have placenta privia. No. So I'm being followed by my doctor for pregnancy. From like in yeah. Mike's or uh, no, just um, Joseph Brandt in oh, Burlington. Joseph Brandt. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I find out I have placenta privia. I'm still bleeding. I end up getting steroid shots. So it's steroid shots that they put in your bum. And they um, really make you happy. They do. <laughs> they make you happy, but the, the idea they was... They really fucking angry. They were straight. They like, do. Like Emotions steroids, all over the board. Steroid keep, shots. They've been saying to me, Carla, for my cancer, yep. you know, we can put you on steroid shots. I'm like, no fucking way. Don't, yeah. I don't want to be on them. I, they, they fuck Whew. up your hormones and your moods and forget But I it. had to because I had to strengthen course, his lungs. Of course you had to. I had to course. strengthen his lungs yes. what if, in case they and had to the last thing you need deliver. Now steroid shots. Okay. Yeah, so here I am. They're giving me steroid shots. They give yeah. me a choice between bed rest or the hospital for the rest of my pregnancy. Okay. And I'm thinking, flip. I have two kids at home. One of them that's constantly at Sick Kids Hospital. The other one that has something going on that's not diagnosed yet, but we're trying to figure out what's going on. Here I am on bed rest. Thank goodness for my ex-sister-in-law and my mother-in-law at the time. So did they just step they in? Helped. They helped. Just... They stepped right in. My uh, mother-in-law was there doing the laundry, helping me with the kids, my boys. Um, so you she was decided amazing. to do bed rest at home? I wanted to be at home. Yes, I wanted to be there with my kids. I wanted, you know, I didn't want to be stuck in a hospital. So I am at home. But it's also scary because if you do the too much activity, I know. You, could, you could kill your child. Totally. So, it's so you have to scary. be really careful. Yeah. So you have to be, you really have to listen to the doctors. And, I, and having my ex-mother-in-law there and my ex-sister-in-law there, I really was forced to stay in my bed. Well, I think what's hard, you probably, you probably <laughs> looked really good. You just look like a pregnant lady. I, I did. And I find that with my cancer. I look healthy. You look amazing. So people assume I can do what I used to be able to do. Yeah. So I feel guilty that I'm not helping pick up boxes. And you right. probably went through that same thing. Oh, totally. Like laying in the guilt. bed uh, and the guilt of going, oh my God, I'm letting everybody do all this for me because... Yeah. I've gotten to know you over a short period, but since, you know, since I got diagnosed, I, I saw yeah. you only about a month after that. You know, you're very much a giver. Yes. So it must have been horrible for you to it be was bed rest and hard to receive. Thing. Yeah. So they are doing all this, and my sister-in-law would be there almost every weekend because my ex worked. He had his own business, so he was seven days a week. They end up inducing me at 37 weeks, so we took him out. That was hard. Now it was interesting because that was it. So I remember the day that Jacob was born and the day after they sent me home and I was dropped off at the house and my ex-husband literally dropped me off and went to work. Oh my God. So here I am with Nathan, <laughs> Joshua and Jacob. Oh my gosh. Just had a baby and he and has to go to work. you don't know if you're going to have postpartum at this point. <laughs> I have I mean, no you idea. You have to assume you're going to have it. I, yes. I didn't really with Josh though. Interesting. Yeah. I think because of his medical issues. Yes, it kept you too focused on him. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was really focused on Josh. So with Jacob, did you have? (laughs) So Jacob, he was a lot of work. He wasn't a bad baby, if you will. (laughs) Not that baby is bad. When they say bad, I mean like crying all the time. Mm -hmm. He didn't. But I ended up 
becoming quite depressed because I, not mentioning that before this, I even had Jacob, I was running a full-time daycare as well. That's right. Yeah. You had, um, I was running okay, a full-time so daycare. Business, and the reason you set up the, the home-based daycare so that you could be at home with your kids. Yes, yes. I always knew I wanted to work with children, hence doing the ECE, before I even had kids of my own. And then actually after Nathan was born, I actually uh, went to school in London to finish. So I always knew that the future of children, working with children some way, somehow, yes. was always in you know, yes. something I wanted to do. So I did. I ended up, after Nathan was born, started uh, tutoring, actually. I started tutoring some children and just one lady she asked me if I how I felt about looking after her daughter all day and I was like yeah sure why not and then it sort of just grew from there it stemmed from there and that's how I ended up opening up my uh, my own daycare and it's interesting because Matt leave was only six months at the time back then the child care regulations that you have now are of two under two and all that was not in effect so you could have five but the ages did not matter they were all really little so I had five other babies plus my own kids oh as my well God. did you have a helper no it was just me so after Jacob was born, I didn't really take any time off. I took a couple of weeks, and then I went right back into it. That's when the depression yeah. really started kicking. And uh, so during the day, you have to be happy. I really have happy to be Sandra, happy, 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 happy. And, like, and I'm trying so hard. Nathan and... is at in JK. Nathan's in school, so he's out of the house during the day. Joshua isn't. Jacob's just a baby. And it was uh, so Jacob was born in uh, May. So this is like going back into September. So I did have the whole summer. With all the kids, but, you know, it's hard because I'm trying to be as happy as I possibly can be, uh, but I ended up losing a, a losing a significant amount of weight. I was, I think, 83 pounds, so I was literally wow. a walking skeleton, and I was so skinny, and I remember it was interesting because it was joked about a lot, and I, I was always very self-conscious about it. I never knew why I was losing all this weight. And I remember going to doctor after doctor, testing my thyroid, doing all these things, yeah. putting me on like boost and nothing. I couldn't gain any of my weight back. And I know my ex-husband was very unattractive. He was not attracted to me whatsoever because I looked like a skeleton. Like you could see my ribs and everything. And I know now that it was depression. Yeah, and I probably was not eating the way that I should have been eating. I mean, when you're that depressed, you don't eat. You yeah. let your hunger go and, and you're looking really after that many kids you don't eat either. To not be envious of how you lose weight when you're depressed because I just eat. <laughs> so it's the opposite, right? Yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> it's the opposite. Where, how many more things? And I maybe I would face? have if I didn't have all these kids yes. around me. Yes. Maybe I would have been the opposite if I was. I and think you it, have a very disciplined I don't know. personality. I don't know. So I don't think you. Would I know have done now that. that I have a disciplined personality, yeah. right? Which is something that I have learned. So Jacob is around, and how things really went sour in our previous marriage was I remember one day. So Joshua had all these medical conditions, and he had a feeding tube. So Joshua was fed by a tube after his surgeries and it was really difficult to get him back into the school system because with this tube there was risks involved. I had to go through the board of education so it was like a nightmare to get him back in but I did. I got him back into the school system and his feeding tube came up quite often and uh, there was times where we were able to put it back in but there were times where um, we weren't able to so the one day that we were not able to unfortunately we had to go to sick kids and they have to put them under and he, you have to go through this procedure where they have to it's got to got in through guided imaging so they do have to reopen the whole cord a little bit out put the lining back in because it's, the lining's pretty deep inside the stomach, yeah. right? It's not just on the outside. Um, so it does start to close. Even the smallest little amount, you can't get it back in. So he comes home that night and he's in this big kindergarten performance and he plays a role, a part, a pretty big part in this play. And he's like, Mom, I really need to be at school the next day. So I made this deal with his dad that the only way he could go to school was if he drove him and he picked him up. Because typically I would walk them every morning, uh -huh. and it's about 20 minutes, and then I would pick them up. And unfortunately, there is a snowstorm that day. So Peter does drop them at school, but I get a call from the school saying that nobody is here to pick them up. And I have all the daycare, and there is a major snowstorm. And I have to walk all the way to school, which took me 45 minutes to get there. And they're coming with me. I have this stroller, the wagon, I'm pushing a stroller and I'm pulling a wagon and I'm trying to get through deep snow. I finally get to the school, I, I get the boys and Josh can't walk, so I have to put him on the handlebars of the stroller. We walk back, which takes me another hour and a half. By then all the parents are waiting at my door because it's almost six o'clock at this point. So Peter's still MIA 
tried calling him. There's no answer. He would always ignore, 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 ignore. He got home that night and that was the end of it. And he did get really mad that night. And I just, cause I, I think I had said to Nathan that that's the night I had said when they were asking where their daddy is. And I said, your dad's out drinking, right? I guess I just had enough and I was just straight up honest and probably shouldn't have said that at the time, but I just, but, no, I, I was I done. That's pretty normal. Yeah. It's like, he's drinking. Yes. <laughs> And I remember him coming home, and it was late at night, and he went upstairs to kiss the boys goodnight, and it was like 11 o'clock. And he said, you told Nathan I was drinking? And I said, yeah, I did. And uh, that was it, and he got mad and angry, and then unfortunately it was not pretty. And that was basically the end of our relationship. And we basically stayed in separate rooms from that point on. And then we, uh, and then we separated. And um, so you're a single mom now. You've got three kids. Yep. So now I have three kids. And um, the youngest is, is challenging. So beginning to show signs. Of, he's of, beginning to show signs. So he always, he actually showed it with Peter and I were together because he was suffering from severe separation anxiety. Not even in the smallest bit severe to the point where, and it was to his dad. To the point where his dad couldn't even go into the bathroom without him being at his foot. His dad would have to honk a certain period of times before he left the driveway. Like, it was just, it was so bad, and I'm now worried, so I do seek help for Jacob. And I reach out, and, you know, we we try to get resources and everything for him. He finally starts school. We have a psychological assessment done, and he's diagnosed with what's called a nonverbal learning disability. So his input is not there. Like, he's not able to take in anything. So, yes, he's verbal, but what they mean by nonverbal learning disability is not able to comprehend anything that is happening. So does it have to be all in writing? Nope. It's just his memory is not there. Like, he needs constant reputation, which... He's just, he's having a very difficult time processing his memory processing skills are just not there. I mean, that's there. Okay. Kids are different ages. Yeah. You're running a daycare. Yeah. There's all different learning disabilities yeah. happening. Yeah. You are trying to process what happened with yeah. you as a child. Yeah. And not bring that upon how you parent. Yeah. So you're trying to learn how to parent the right way. Yes. So before Peter and I had split, um, I was trying to learn how to parent the right way. And how that happened for me was I fell ill. As I mentioned, I was uh, really skinny. So like, I guess the smallest little cold, flu, would t- turn into something pretty yeah. significant. And I actually ended up with meningitis. I was in the hospital for a period of time. And that was life-changing for me because I received a phone call from my mom's side of the family, my uncle. He said to me, listen, kiddo, and I know you've heard this before, but you need to apply the oxygen mask on yourself before you apply it on your kids. In other words, as we know, take care of you. Yes. Which is something I was not doing. Yes. I was revolving my life around my children and my daycare. That was my life. I did not have a life. I never went out. I never did anything for myself. Barely had any friends. I had one girlfriend down the street that I spoke to a lot who was aware of everything that was happening and always wanted me to get out of the relationship, but never really had a life. And it's interesting because as mean as this sounds, and I know he regrets it up, regrets it now, he has, Max has a lot of regrets about our relationship, is he always told me that nobody would ever want to date a skeleton especially one with baggage. So it always played in my head. So that's one of the reasons why I think I stuck it out. And it's interesting because his mom wanted me to leave him at periods of time. She was actually going to find a place for me and the kids, looking with me. But that fell through. And I remember my ex-sister-in-law saying to me every other weekend, every other weekend, in other words, he'll finally get a taste of what you're going through. You'll get a little bit of a break. Yes. Anyway, so that's that's what happened, and uh, I got out of the hospital, and that's when I realized. I think I became a stronger person, where I started to stand up for myself a little bit more. I started to take care of myself. I had the opportunity to start reading book after book. Nathan's still really young. Nathan's diagnosed with autism. I have no idea what autism is. Doctor tells me, you know, that he'll never be able to socialize like any other child. His academic level will never be as good as any other child. He'll always be grades below mentally, academically. And I was like, you know, okay, you know, what, what do you do? Fortunately, at the time, the wait list for any services for a child who was on, had autism, which wasn't really known back then, was so long. To hire anybody to do any services, ABA, which is now what I am trained in, um, was $150 an hour, and he would need invasive treatment, so about 40 hours a week. How do you afford that? 
So that wasn't even an option for me. So here I am reading book after book after book after book. I ended up finding a um, lady who did do some therapy with them for a lot less rate, which inspired me to take my behavioral background to a whole different level. And I decided to go back to school. And that's when I studied ABA therapy as well. So I was really able to get into Nathan's head, really working with Nathan day in and day out. I just, I developed structure. I developed routine. I realized I took, okay, everything that I'm doing is not working because if it was, I would not be feeling the way that I'm feeling. Yeah. How can I make this different? What can I do? And it was hard because they were so set on their ways, the ways that I was with them, not following through with my kids. I bribed them a lot different things that uh, was not working and I just changed everything around and I started to notice a huge difference in my kids and in my parenting. I mean, if, like if we fast forward to today, yeah. if we look at, you know, your upbringing, we look yeah. at your experiences yes, and then we look at who you are today. You would probably never know. Never know. Never know. Right? Yeah. Because today you have... Today I have uh, my own practices, yeah. So I... Um, you have a happy, I healthy so ha- marriage. Yeah, very happy, healthy marriage. I found my... I he, I say soulmate. He calls us cosmic mates beyond. Yeah. And you know, it, it wasn't the easiest getting together with him, but it was meant that's to be... a lot for him to take on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? Like but he, he but found he, me. He, called, he says I was his silhouette that he's always dreamed about. Yeah. I mean, he and had a crush on you in high school. He had a school. crush on me. So um, he still he, sees you as that girl who he fell in does, love with in high school. He does. He said that he would see me at... Uh, so he was in high school because he dated my best friend's youngest sister, and he always said that he had a crush on me. It was interesting because I, I was attracted to his mind mm-hmm. and that was new for me because I was so intrigued by how smart he was and, and his pretty knowledge when a guy falls in love with your kids who have a yeah who have a lot of issues to deal with yeah and you know it's an it's interesting because when you are a single mom it's an interview process you're not just going out with anybody it's like how would you be around my children how would you accept all this and he did and I'm sure it wasn't easy. And I know it was hard because... I mean, one of the things he wanted, which is interesting, mm-hmm. which you gave to him... Yes, is a child of his own. Is a child of his own, yeah. right? Yeah. You have your beautiful little girl. I do. I have Chloe. And she's been such a delight in our lives. She's been the boy's princess. She was just... She was always meant to be. She was always... I mean, she's just she's just an amazing soul. So you um, have this beautiful home now. Cause yes. You, you know, in a nice, yeah. great neighborhood. Yes. So you do have the picket fence. I do. Although it took a long time to get there. Yes, yes. You've got... You know, you got Great. your dog. Yes. Right? You, you got your home business set up. Yes. That's flourishing. It's flourishing, yes. Um, and, and the kind of work you do... I mean, yeah. what you're doing with me is not perhaps traditionally what you do with everyone else right. but you are willing to work with me yeah. because you're that type of person yep. and because I, I knew I could help yeah I knew I could help you and you know I just it's interesting because I just don't take on anybody either right like I just it has to be it has to be on both ends mm-hmm. right like it has to connect it has to work and you know I love doing what I do I'm so passionate about it so this girl who used to wake up every single day with this mentality of why me to a mentality mentality of aha that's why me mm-hmm. this is why I'm here this is my purpose yes and it's interesting because I don't have regrets mm-hmm. I don't have any regrets I'm not mad at anybody I'm not mad at my dad. I'm not mad at my uncle. I maybe don't choose to have people in my life. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. I forgive, you know, and I think forgiveness is huge. I don't have to. No, that's right. I don't have to forgive. It's my choice. It's great when you do, though, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I forgive. I mean, I look at it not maybe. I know everything happened for a reason. I know I was the one meant to go through all that. Perhaps maybe there's somebody that wouldn't have come out as strong, if you will. Maybe they would have taken their life a long time ago, but I I didn't. I mean, really, I think when I hear your story, that's what sometimes I think in my head is like, God, that would have been so easy to just take your own life. It's the easy route. And yeah, it is a pretty easy route, right? But what would I be teaching my children? 
That's right. Yeah, that's true. That's not how you do it. it. There's no easy way out. And you really have to face things head on. And I think that's why I'm different than, you know, because of my background, like I said, is behavioral development. And I work with a lot of children with behavioral issues and families that are having a lot of issues inside their household with themselves or with, you know, them as a couple or with their children. And I think the reason why my help is completely different than any psychologist, psychiatrist is anything that you see is that a I get it I lived it I get it I understand it completely what you're going through let me show you what worked for me and b because I work directly inside families homes they're not mm-hmm. sitting behind my desk telling me their story and saying oh sorry time's up mm-hmm. you know move on to the next client and I mean it's great that there are psychologists and psychologists out there and I'm sure they're great with what they do the difference is, is that I'm with the family I get to live their life with them I get to feel what they're doing I get to hear everything that's going on so I really get a full feel of the family situation and it's interesting because is there an easy fix no but if I would have known now what I know then would I have gone through the same thing that I did with my kids probably not but that's okay now I know now I'm here to educate other parents and say there it doesn't have to be this way You do not have to be stressed out raising your children. It's easier than what you think it is. There's such a stigma when it comes to parenting that everybody, I see it all over mom groups constantly, and I see stressed out parents talking about their children and my terrible twos and the toddler years and my teenager, and I'm like, but it doesn't have to be that way. It stems from you as a parent and how you display yourself to your child. And not only that, how do you follow through as a parent? Children crave structure. They crave routine. They crave consistency. Children do not want to be bribed. And that is happening all the time. Children need these life skills that are so important. Have you had some parents say to you, no, my my child is just especially difficult or my child has learning disabilities. Hear it all the time. And I guess from your standpoint, you can say, I get it. I get it. And you can't one up me. Yeah. I I got a lot going on in my house. (laughs) And and uh, I think once parents realize, and they they do hear a bit of my story and I don't go into complete detail, they realize that, okay, she's got something here. (laughs) You've got a lot in your plate. Like if you look at, you have, still have your after school program. I do. You have with your kids. I do. And you have how many kids are? are... It varies. Um, I can have 10 to 12. And it's interesting because I'll get people say, how do you handle that? How do you handle all those kids? And but I'm you, like, you have a way of keeping them completely calm. It's completely calm. And just... they respect me. Yes. I don't deal with any of the behaviors that if I have certain children in my yoga program or after school program or whatever it is, I don't see any of that that these parents see. It's interesting. And is that because they you really know listen? Who they, I to listen them? to them. They know I'm in tune, and I'm also an example to them. I don't act out in any way. Yes, that is uncontrollable in front of the children. Children are a product, to some degree, of what they live. Yes. We can teach our children but to control yet, their emotions. But yet you were. Yes. And you changed that. Yes. So I, mean, I know what I, mean, I was bringing out on my kids. I saw it firsthand. I mean, I'm living I, proof. Yeah, like you are living proof. And yes. I think, you know, when I first met you and I was like, okay, so who are you? What do you, you know, what's yeah. your story? Of course, because I'm yeah, a curious yes. person. And you run a few different businesses. Then you have all these kids with, with issues. I'm like, I don't, how do you ever have time to have romance with your I, your husband, yeah. and you say we just make it work. We always make it work. Yeah, we do. We uh, we find time for each other, and I think that's really important. And it's interesting because that's one of the things I do work on with parents is the connection. The connection is so important for your children to see. And you know, I didn't have that with my ex husband. We didn't connect like that, like my husband and I do, especially in front of the kids. Yes, my daughter. Sees a very healthy relationship. We don't yell and scream at each other. We deal with things in a, in a calm manner. And if we do have issues, they are dealt with without her presence. And I do an observation period with the family. And, you know, as minor as it may seem to the parent, the child picks up on the smallest thing. Mm-hmm. 
they're watching you. So if you're bringing in your negative energy from your day at work because you had a bad day, your child is picking up on that negativity. And the more they hear you talk negative, be it about a coworker or your boss or anybody, you've now just taught your child that this is how we talk about people, that this is what life is about. Instead of bringing up the negativity, why not look for the positive component? And it's what we're not programmed and, and to I do. Think you teach that with the kids, which is amazing. What you and I are going to do is different because now you're, you're dealing with an adult that's... Yeah. I mean, I'm generally a pretty positive person. I try yes. to be positive. I like to see the positive. Yeah, you do. Being in pain is what yeah. sometimes can make me not feel so positive. Yeah. But what I really got from you in the just our... our you know, our sessions is that I think you're the first person that's been able to lead me through the beginnings of mindfulness. Yeah. That's because great to hear. my brain is usually racing a million times yeah. and I don't know how to make it stop yeah. because I don't know how to stop the negative self-talk. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. afraid to be too alone with my thoughts yeah. because I don't want that to creep back up and be like, you know, maybe you deserve this cancer. Maybe you, you know, you didn't do enough and enough of anything, you know, like it's just like the self-talk that comes up, like just the negativity. And if I'm going to beat cancer, can't beat it with a negative, can't beat it with a negative mind. No, you cannot. So I feel like cancer is allowing me to be selfish, Mm. which I felt guilty about before. Yes. So it's allowing me, I feel, to like have time with you to do mindfulness and not feel guilty that I should be doing something else or having sessions with you while you're helping me feel closer and more connected to my body. Yes. Because right now there's like aliens in my body. I feel like these little tiny like gremlins that are like just running around having this big, huge party and causing these aches and pains. Mm -hmm. And I haven't accepted Right, that they're there. Yeah. yeah, and my cancer, and just meditate on, I'm not meant to like stretch and push and like be okay to feel mm-hmm. my cancer. Right, and it is okay. And our minds are programmed to think negative thoughts. Yeah. And it's interesting because we always look for the negative before we look for the positive. But once we, as humans, can learn to change that process of thinking, it's amazing yeah. what can happen to you. Yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally. It's a hard thing to do. And I yeah. know, and I'm one to say, it is one of the hardest things hardest I have things ever had to do in my life. But the minute I changed my pattern of thinking is the minute my weight came back, I felt like a completely different person. I didn't get up in the morning saying, oh, why me? I got up in the morning saying, all right, I got this. I can do this. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like cancer has brought me really amazing people into my life. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, and we spoke about that and at the and beginning of your sessions. With amazing people that I haven't yeah. connected with in years. Yeah. And I think I wish everybody could experience having a terminal disease for just one week and right. see their life. Yeah. How it just changes. And God they would know. They would know how to separate the bullshit yeah. versus the shit that matters. Yeah. Like I wish I could just say it. I wish I could just say it to someone, but I feel like you don't need that to happen no. to you. No. I you hear what you're saying. Already. I know exactly what you're saying because I see it all the time because I can be at the back of the room and I could be listening to people and I can hear them talking about all the crap. And I just in the head I'm just shaking my head. You know, and I'm like stop just just stop the negative talk you know and anytime somebody's talking negative I try to listen I really do but at the same time I have going through my head just please try to see the positive you know try to see the positive I I wish I could bottle up my cancer and just say god you would yeah you would see things you would just like not care about no half that shit that you You wouldn't cared about right Right? Yeah. And you not wouldn't. be afraid to say things that normally you were you would afraid not be of afraid. saying. I had so much fear to confront my dad, to confront yeah. my family. I have no fear. As a matter yes. of fact. So that's what's amazing. I would you. love you need to for... you didn't need to get terminal disease to tell you this. No, I didn't. But I would love for my uncle who uh, was the one that sexually abused me to pick up the phone and call me because I'm no longer fearful of you. Yes. 
That was Stand Up, Speak Up founder Carla Stevens-Tolstoy speaking with Parenting Solutions practitioner Sandra Dowett. To learn more about Sandra's practices, visit www.parentingsolutions.ca. Follow Carla's cancer journey on social media using the Instagram handle at Stand Up Speak Up Apparel. And remember, none of this is possible without your support. Help Carla help others by making a purchase at StandUpSpeakUpApparel.com and find something to not only make you look great, but help someone in need. Want to send a personal note to Carla? Email her at Carla.Tolstoy at StandUpSpeakUp.ca. That's Carla.Tolstoy at StandUpSpeakUp.ca. That's all for this episode of My Boobs Are Trying to Kill Me, a Stand Up Speak Up podcast. I'm your guest host, Amanda D'Souza. Thank you for joining us. And if you love what you heard today, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.